Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. In today's episode, Mitch Light and I will talk Vanderbilt basketball and baseball. The news today presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk, a Nashville-based injury law firm. Sutherland and Belk is committed to fighting for those who have been injured in car, motorcycle, and truck accidents. Check them out at sbinjurylaw.com. Well, it was a good news weekend for the Commodores. Let's start with basketball. Vanderbilt scores a big upset, 75-70 to over Ole Miss. Five players in double-figure scoring. That does not include Scottie Pippen or Dylan DeSue, who both missed the game. So the outcome in that case, really stunning. But anyway, great win for Jerry Stackhouse and the Commodores over Ole Miss, an Ole Miss team that, frankly, had a shot to get in the NCAA tournament but probably saw that killed with Saturday's game. It was a good weekend in baseball as well. The Commodores dropped their opener of a four-game series to Georgia State but come back to win the last three Really good pitching and good hitting throughout the weekend. One of the highlights, Max Romero Jr. hits his first two collegiate home runs. Those both came in Sunday's Game 2. Commodore's off until a weekend series with UIC. The title sponsor of our podcast this year is Jody Jones DDS. Trusted for his creative design and committed to both the function and aesthetics of your smile, Jody Jones provides a range of sought-after dental and cosmetic dentistry services at his practice in Nashville. He's earned the title of number one in Nashville for his cosmetic dentistry and provides a unique luxury environment for patients who want his famous Hollywood smile or other services. Patients enjoy getting services from Dr. Jones and his attentive team in a spa-like atmosphere. Dr. Jones has worked with many artists, movie stars, and celebrities over the years and is dedicated to providing first-rate results to all of his patients. He never compromises quality so patients can be confident they will always receive the highest level of care. Thank you to Jody Jones DDS for making this season of the podcast possible. Mitch Light appears today on our guest line. The guest line is presented by Bowl and Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue how comfortable Bowl and Branch sheets could be until I got some. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code VANDY and get $50 off your first set of sheets. Mitch Light joins us as he does basically every week. Mitch is a college football editor at The Athletic. Mitch, thanks for joining us today. Hope you're well. I'm doing very well, Chris. Thank you very much. Best weekend of Vanderbilt sports to talk about, I guess, in at least a year. The Commodores win a basketball game and get three of four in a baseball series. Let's start with hoops. How surprised were you that Vanderbilt upset Ole Miss? Um, if you would have told me, when was the Tennessee game? Wednesday um, yeah. or whatever it was, that Vanderbilt would be out Pippen and DeSue, I'd say clearly it's an 0-2 week. 
But after watching them play against Tennessee, and some of that was Vanderbilt, some of that was Tennessee. Um, so, but yeah, basically, I'm very surprised they won. But but seeing how they played against Tennessee, it didn't completely shock me because um, they showed, you know, that they were still a, a competent offensive team at times. Uh, they've been a very good offensive team if you look at the numbers this year. But without their two best players, they, you know, I went to the Tennessee game with with the way Tennessee's able to clamp you down on defense at some points. You know, Vanderbilt might struggle to score 50 points in that game, and and, and clearly, you know, got got by that number. So. Uh, and this was an Ole Miss team that won the previous, you know, they lost at home to Mississippi State the, the the two games ago, but they'd won at Missouri the previous game and had been playing really good basketball. So, um, you know, d- definitely surprising um, and just, you know, a, a, just a really good, you know, pretty balanced effort looking at the box score. Um, you know, three guys in double figures shot the ball well. Um, the traits that you like to see, you know, getting leads losing leads then battling back and you know got a little too close at the end there but credit um Cleveland Brown for hitting some clutch free throws down the stretch so you know just just a credit to the guys and you always like to see the seniors uh, go out in style at home how do you explain that they basically played better the last two games without their best two players no look I'm not positing this is something I believe because I, I think it's probably a fluke more than anything but is there something that's not showing up on defense, maybe especially with Pippen, who's not always the best defender, that is making them a better team here? I don't believe it. I think Pippen and DeSue are both really good players. Um, flawed players maybe in some ways, especially Pippen, but really good ones. I mean, I don't there, – there's no way in the world I would take – the team that they have now over the team that they had with those two over an 18 game schedule. But is there something I'm not seeing here that they're playing better without those guys? Well, I don't necessarily know if they're playing better. Um, they play, they've been playing well as a team. I mean, they went to Alabama on the sec championship and they had the lead in Tuscaloosa with what, four minutes to go. Uh, Kentucky has obviously had its ups and downs, but they, they lost a nail biter to Kentucky three days before before Kentucky went to Knoxville and won big. They beat Mississippi State by 21 points. So I think just as a team, they've been playing well. And I I think there's something to be said, uh, whether it's a cliche or not, is, you know, when you're missing some offensive guys, other guys just step up, guys that aren't as willing or they kind of know their roles um, offensively when the other two guys are on the floor, um, you know, Isaac McBride's going to shoot the ball a little more. Trey Thomas has never been shy, but he knows that when he's open, he's going to shoot. He's not going to see if they can get a better shot. I think it's just the, if you've got competent offensive players or competent players, um, they can score with given the opportunity. And not, not that this is the same thing, but as I mentioned a lot, I'm a huge Brooklyn Nets fan. I watch them basically every game. And they've had some games this year when obviously Durant and Irving don't play and then other guys play well. And, and shoot the ball well because they have to. Are they better with those without those guys? No, they're not. They just have other competent players. So I, I definitely don't think it's a better team, but I just think it, it, it's a capable team that, that's playing better. Now, defensively, I, I don't know. I, I don't see how they're better defensively without those guys because, you know, I know Trey Thomas works hard and, and all that, but he's, he's a small guy, uh, you know, and can can be susceptible to some matchups there too. So I, I just think they, they played very well. I wouldn't kind of overanalyze it. 
Well, and they also played without Cleavon Brown, which I, I would think that if they pull the game like that, that maybe Brown has one of those eight well, shot days or something. Yeah. Um, oh, right. He did play. He, I guess it was the game before he didn't play. Yeah, he didn't play um, against, sorry. He, yeah. he was impactful against Ole Miss. I mean, defensively and hit some free throws, hit a three. So, you know, I, I, I thought he was a big factor in what they did. Yeah, sorry. That, that's what I'm – against Tennessee, they played better without him. Now, he was a factor on that end. And I think you need that against Romello White. Um who is a really good big for Ole Miss. But I'm changing the subject for just a minute. Who's their third best player right now? Um, that's a good question. I, I'd say Max Evans. Um, Jordan Wright is a very well-rounded player, and he might fall under the category, and I have to go, let me, you know, he didn't shoot the ball well, did he? Um, no. No. The um, Tennessee game. Yeah, so he went 6-10. It's the Tennessee game where he didn't shoot the ball. He's the type of guy where I don't necessarily think you want his offensive role expanding when you're missing some offensive weapons, that he's more of a, a good complementary player. Um, but, um, you know, I would say Jordan Wright or Max Evans. You know, who would I rather have ball in their hands um, late in the game? I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, Mac, Max Evans can get to the basket. Jordan Wright can get to the basket. He's physical and strong. Sometimes he, you know, forces it. I, I think he forces it sometimes Some when he thinks that the offense is stagnating and, and he needs to get to the basket. So one thing about Jordan is I don't know what happened to his free throws, man. He, he was, what, 70-something percent. And starting with that Kentucky, those two Kentucky misses late, he is like one for his last seven or eight. Yeah, he is shooting at the line – 62% this year. This kind of sums it up, okay? I'm looking at per 40-minute stats. They have got, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys between 10.9 and 15.0 points per 40 minutes. And I like those because when guys get seven minutes here, eight minutes there, then obviously they're not going to put up big numbers. Uh, you look at rebounding. Um, the same seven guys are between, what, 3.1 and 6.1 um, assists. You know, nobody really stands out. None of these guys are really – well, Wright gets 1.8 steals per 40 minutes. So he – and McBride gets 1.6. Uh, you know, so a little separation there. I mean, maybe you would say it's Jordan Wright if it's not Evans, but it's just a – it's a mismatch of players once you take those top two out. Yeah, and, and you know, they – for for a variety of reasons, a lot of it's the, the start and stop earlier in the year injuries. Maybe if McBride doesn't get hurt, um, you know, and Miles Studi has not played well since since playing well early, shooting the ball well earlier in the year. Um, you know, when you've got two guys that are taking the majority of your bigger shots, you're not asking other people to step up. So maybe roles are are a little more difficult to define. So, you know, when those guys weren't in the lineup, you can see some, you know, different roles emerge and, and guys willing to take big shots, willing to take the ball to the basket. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely not unheard of when, you know, good players are out of the lineup for other guys to step up. Now, it's can it, obviously the season's about to end, so we're not going to find out, but it's not the type of thing in most situations that's sustainable. You, you obviously want your better players in the lineup. But um, clearly, when, when you, again, keep saying it, when you have capable players, they're they are more than capable of, of, of filling in in the short term. Let's talk baseball for a couple of minutes. What did you make of Vanderbilt's 3-1 to series win over Georgia State? 
kind of what you expected. I mean, I guess you maybe expect a sweep, but that's I think that's a pretty good team. We'll we'll find out. You know, we know what they did against West Virginia, and their, their schedule's absolutely brutal. Um, so I I don't think we learned a ton. It's kind of this team is what we think it is at this point. It's a dominant pitching team, and you know we we kind of talked about the ERA and 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 what it would be this year. And we both said, well, you never can know because you might have a guy come in and, and a blowout and give up some runs there. And, and I guess uh, Gage Bradley came up and gave up three runs in, in one inning. But for the most part, uh, pitched well, didn't give up a ton of hard contact, hit the ball better as the weekend progressed, which you would expect against a team that's maybe a good team but doesn't have a ton of pitching depth. I thought, you know, who, who knows what, what Georgia State will end up being, but if they, they have a good record and it's a good RPI win you, you know it was kind of good that Vanderbilt got that fourth game in you, you figured that they would kind of run out of pitching there um obviously Dominic Keegan um <laughs> hitting the ball extremely well Carter Young uh Parker Noland had a a good a good uh game and, and then you know Max Romero had one of the better offensive games you'll see from a Vanderbilt player so uh yeah I think a positive you know we haven't we spoke last Monday or Tuesday maybe after the, the the first two Wright State games, so I, I would say this is kind of what I expected. Um, the pitching's been I expected to be dominant, has been dominant, and the hitting still some question marks, but some guys kind of emerging in lead roles. Yeah, I'm not shocked that they dropped a game. I think Georgia State's a good team, and this is the kind of series, and this is exactly how it played out, where a team like that that's got some arms and they've got a lot of kids who can really bring it. You know, any any time a close baseball game happens, it can turn on one or two plays, and and you lose a game that everybody thinks you're supposed to win. That's exactly what happened on Friday night, and then Saturday that game was a little too close for comfort. But Vanderbilt gets that Carter Young home run late, and I was thinking, okay, going into game three and four, most teams start to run out of pitching. Like, even in SEC weekends, you see that, right? You see right. some pretty good pitching staffs that get hammered on Sundays because arms 7, 8, and 9 aren't as good as 1 through 6. And that's, again, even good on a – even the case on a lot of good teams. That's exactly what happened. Meanwhile, Vanderbilt's throwing up rocker and lighter in that situation. And you just had to feel good heading into those last two games. And that's exactly what happened – uh, but, boy, my question about this team is I don't know how it's going to hit really good arms because you've seen it struggle against really good pitchers, and then you see Vanderbilt just hammer bad pitching. Um, you saw that happen against Western Kentucky. Um, I guess Wright State in game one, you, you can't really say that because that's game one they're throwing a closer from the previous year, um, you know, who they've made their one starter. And then you saw them struggle a little bit at times against Georgia State in games one and two, although a lot of that left on base issues. Um, to that, this team, I think if you're looking at the most encouraging stat offensively, maybe after seven games, they've got a 440 on base percentage as a team. Yeah, and I mean, that's all fair. It's it's very always very difficult to um... – kind of judge or gauge the hitting early in the year because the pitching because you know we, we can sit there and, and look at Georgia State and Wright State and think they're good teams and they are good teams sometimes Vanderbilt's played some some early season series against teams that we thought were good and weren't good and you look back and say oh that's why you know that guy went you know seven for nine in that series or something like that so um, a, a lot of it's to be determined and we we thought that would be the case this year and the 
Tim Corbin talks about it all the time. There's just not a lot of proven bats. I, I, I think I think Carter Young is going to hit, and I think Dominic Keegan's going to hit this year. Um, I guess Isaiah Thomas is a guy that um, you know proved it to some degree last year, but a smaller sample size and has been you know 12 strikeouts. That's a little too much. Had a chance basically to win the game on on um, Friday night, and you know it was kind of bad luck. <laughs> right to the third baseman, but he also had the bases loaded, no outs, and, you know, could have, could have done some serious damage there. Um, so that was not ideal. I figured, you know, the games kind of uh, blend together. But I think it was maybe Saturday's game. Vanderbilt had a lot of loud outs, maybe lined into a double play one time, some shots to the outfield. So I thought Vanderbilt hit the ball better Saturday maybe than the, the, the final, the result of five runs indicated there. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just kind of a, a work in progress offensively. And, but you kind of, the defense has been outstanding, um, especially in the middle infield, has been really, really good. And we knew that would be the case with Carter Young. Didn't know about Colwick, but obviously a good athlete, former former quarterback uh, um, in high school, so a good athlete there. So I think, you know, we, we know about the pitching. The defense looks like it's a given, so that, that's two good places to start. Well, I, I say the 440 on base percentage may be the most encouraging stat. I think it's this. They've got seven guys who've homered, seven different guys through the first seven games. They've accounted for 11 total home runs, uh, not to mention 20 doubles and four triples. I, I think that seeing that many guys who show the ability to both get on base and poke the occasional long ball uh, with the pitching they've got, that makes you think there's going to be enough hitting there. Again, a long way to go, right? But I think we both believe they've got some talented hitters. We just wanted to see how well it showed up. And, again, I think you make those judgments when you play in conference play. But they could have also not hit uh, because we see that happen sometimes. I think if they hadn't hit in a situation, we start to have concerns. But I think the fact that they did hit so well uh, through the first seven games makes you think it's possible. Yeah, a couple of things would be interesting to see what happens if Spencer Jones comes back. Um, what happens there? You know, we, we expect uh, Cooper Davis to, to slide right back into left field, probably be back this weekend there. Um, I don't want to get oh, go overboard because I don't know much about yesterday's pitching for Georgia State. I imagine it wasn't very good, but, you know, does Max Romero get more at-bats? Do you go to a platoon there, or is it just kind of one start a weekend, which we saw, we've, we've seen in the past, I guess it was the you know the Carl Ellison, Jason Delay. Whenever there's kind of two really two good catchers, that's how they split it up there. But the, the one thing for for having so many unproven bats, they definitely have a very solidified lineup at least right now. They basically, other than Bulger subbing in for you know Davis, they've had the same I believe the same starting nine every game, um, uh, all all six games. Or yeah, all seven, that's that's which correct, is, uh -huh. which is surprising at this time of year. Yeah, it is. Of course, they, they platoon catchers. No catcher's going to catch every day. But, yeah, it's been right. consistent. And I think had Davis not gotten hurt, it would have been the same thing. I mean, I don't see him taking Davis out of the lineup unless he's just not hitting. So, yeah, I mean, it has been consistency. And that's kind of one thing that you want to see is guys establish roles. And, and so far, they're doing that. To the pitching I mean, I think it's what we thought it would be 
for the most part, Rocker and Lighter have not been perfect early. No, they haven't given up a run, but it's not been vintage Rocker and vintage Lighter like we've seen. And with Rocker, I kind of I expect it. Pretty damn good. I thought Lighter was pretty. His first game, I thought he was. No, no, he was he good. Was... But I mean, I, what I'm saying is like he struggled. What he walked or hit four or five guys in in his last start, and and that's not that's not really who he is. What I'm saying is like I, I thought that he wasn't his best, but they still couldn't hit him. Yeah, and uh, he's both of those guys are the type of and in, in, we've seen Rocker do it over a course of a year. We haven't seen Lighter, but we know how good he is. He's he's like when there's first and second and one out, or even first and second no out, you still don't expect the other team to score. And there's not many pitchers like that. Um, so, be interesting to see what they do this weekend. Um, I don't know. My guess is they come back with Rocker Saturday, Lighter Sunday, and then after that, move them back a day into their normal Friday, Saturday. But we'll see there. You know, I it just uh, liked what I saw from pretty much everyone. I, I'd say Luke Murphy might be, outside of Lighter and Rocker, Luke Murphy might be the the biggest bright spot. Four innings, one walk, no hits, eight strikeouts has been basically perfect um Lepoke's been very good um ran into a little bit of trouble there uh I guess on Saturday um I liked what I've seen from Miles Garrett it, he kind of uh lost it there but I, I on yesterday but I think Hunter Owen has been really good too again he, he gave up some runs there but uh he got those four quick outs I think he's been very good yeah I think Hunter Owen has been better than the stat line yeah. shows he's got a 540 but just the way he's looked he can really dominate hitters and, and maybe he's gonna carve out a lefty role because they don't have a lot of those I think that's my big surprise with the pitching staff like if you had said light and rocker haven't given up a run through two games okay we would have expected that Laboki, I trust enough to throw well same with Thomas Schultz but I, I don't know that two weeks in we'd be saying Hunter Owen might have a role uh, I don't think we, – we knew Patrick Riley might. Miles Garrett was kind of a wild card to me. I'm with you. I thought he's looked really good in his short stint. And Luke Murphy, another one, right? That could have gone one of two ways. Murphy has real trouble at times commanding the strike zone and gets really wild and, and hits and walks a lot of guys. But he's walked one guy through four innings so far, and like you said, he's looked dominant. I think that's the thing to me. It, I think it's the guys that we thought would be really good – They've been very good. Again, not not to the best of their ability because I think you'll see Rocker and Lighter pitch better in, in terms of commanding the zone as the season goes on. I mean, we're just getting into March as of today, so it's not a concern. But it's a fact that you have seen other pitchers on a staff where there didn't seem to be a lot of opportunity for freshmen. You've seen a couple of guys that are making the case to get the ball. Yeah, and you might have mentioned his name. I was kind of when you were talking there. I was, I was listening, of course, but I was also looking at the stat sheet. You know, Nick Maldonado is a guy who's been given the ball in, in as much as you can say. There's been high leverage situations, but there there's been some. Um, I think the second Wright State game, the one nothing game, and then maybe the Saturday game. He he's come in and he's walked two guys, but four and a third, no hits, four strikeouts. Um, so yeah, just. Roles will have to be defined. You you can't. And this was kind of a weird week with seven games and and set literally I guess seven days. That's not going to happen. Um, there's not going to be as many opportunities again. And roles will be de- de- defined more. But um, just a, a lot of options. And hey, good to see Hugh Fisher back. And and you never know 
coming off Tommy John surgery, didn't walk a guy in two innings, uh, two strikeouts there. So really very, very little to, to find fault with the pitching. Yeah, I was surprised when I talked to people preseason that Maldonado was going to have the role that he was probably going to have. But with him, the thing is, they put a premium on command and control. And Maldonado's a guy that can throw about, I think, four pitches from memory. But the thing is, he really pounds the strike zone. And I think they brought him in, what, two, three guys on in the sixth yesterday. I'd have to grab the scoreboard. But when you bring a guy on with a game is – you know, if you give up a big inning there, all of a sudden it's maybe a game again. I think they trust him to pitch in those spots where he doesn't have the best stuff on the staff, but what he does is throw strikes, and again, that's a point of emphasis for them this year. Yeah, and I guess this is, you know, one bad pitch, but the the only guy that you that they're going to be counting on that has really given up anything, I'd say it would be, you know, Ethan Smith. He gave up, uh, uh, was it on... Friday, Friday night, night. yeah, gave yeah, up a home up, run. You know, so, um, but I think you know he'll he'll have a role, and and I, you know, expect him to have a, a solid season. Yeah, the other one is Chris McIlvain, uh, who they really like. He's given up four runs in five and a third innings, walked two, hasn't hit a batter. No, he's hit once. Control has been a little bit off for him. Uh, that that's one too that. I think that they like him more than the numbers have borne themselves out so far, uh, which they see practice and stuff. I'm not saying they're wrong, but that's going to be one that's interesting too because I think there's a little bit more trust in McIlwain than the numbers that he's putting up might justify so far given the other options in the staff. And as I think I think I trust their judgment, obviously. They, they see a lot of these guys in practice, but that's going to be one that's going to be interesting too. Yeah, and again, it's just uh, at some point you, you've got to whittle it down, and, and not that if you, if you fall out of that sort of trust zone, not that you can't get back in, but there's especially with this quality of starters that Vanderbilt has, there might not be a ton of relief innings, and, and so it's sort of like a lot of, I guess, pressure on these guys to carve out roles right now. I think it's clear. You know, if he's not a Sunday starter, but, you know, Laboki, these guys, Laboki, Schultz, Fisher, Murphy, Maldonado, and Smith, I guess. And I guess what you're saying about McIlvain would be sort of the guys at, at the top of the – and maybe throw Grayson Moore in there because he's a lefty. But uh, you clearly can't pitch everybody. Let's go into the mailbag. That is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of all your insurance needs. Call Josh today, 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshuamintonhq or facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He's my insurance agent. Give him a try. Tell him you heard about him here. VUMAT23 says, do you think that the Vanderbilt batting order has much more power than we thought before the season? Um. I don't know. I mean, you, you mentioned the point about a number of guys hitting the ball. I, I didn't necessarily think power was going to be the problem. I mean, they got some strong guys like, you know, Keegan Gonzalez. Young showed some power, I think, last year at some moments. But, you know, Nolan Thomas. I think if those guys hit well, they'll hit with power. So I don't think it's either – if that makes sense. Like, my, the, the power part of the equation wasn't really that big of a concern to me. It's more of a will they hit. So, um, 
you know, it, it was nice to see Keegan hit three home runs, you know, but uh, so I, I would say I, I wasn't surprised necessarily by the power they showed. I guess surprise depends on where you start the discussion because I left the fall series going, oh my goodness, they've got more pop in their bats than than I knew, and that was encouraging. That's why I thought leaving the fall, this could be a number one team. Now, I think once they got back into winter workouts and they're facing those arms every day, it became a lot more of a concern. But the question I had at that point was, is that a product of what they have or is that a product of who they're facing? So, so far it seems to suggest it's a, maybe it's a going up against the guys you go up against and practice every day. But again, uh, th- this is not the, the Georgia, Florida, LSU gauntlet they're going to hit later. Right, right. You just, all you can do is is hit against who who you're you're playing and and um, clearly they got 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 some guys capable of hitting the ball because there were it wasn't just some uh, barely over the fence I think pretty much every home run was just a bomb. Yeah, not not a lot of cheapies. I mean, I'm trying to think the one that Young got, the first one to left in on the over the small wall he didn't get out by much. But yeah, most of them were pretty well hit. The one that Romero hit, uh, and the one that the second one Romero hit, and the one that Colwick hit were just yes. absolutely crushed. Yes, uh, yeah, the Romero, the second Romero was just absolute bomb. Next one. Let's see. Mister Vandy says, "What do you consider the best win under Coach Jerry Stackhouse?" Or do you consider the Ole Miss win the best one under Jerry Stackhouse, considering who the players were that could not play? Uh, you know, we've talked about this, and I still say the LSU game last year just because of the, the, the competition and keep I'm repeating myself, LSU wasn't a as good as their record necessarily, but they were undefeated last year in league play, and Vanderbilt had, did not have a win. Um, but I think you might – Based on who they didn't have, sure, this has to be right up there because you know they, they played better at Mississippi State. They probably they played better against South Carolina, but a, Ole Miss was a, a team that was playing its way onto the bubble again. Had just won at Missouri, no doubt about it. NCAA team, um, so yeah, I mean, and it shows just sort of like the um, guys are just, that's never really an issue. Hasn't been an issue under Jerry Stackhouse. Guys playing hard and all that, but just the the belief and sort of like the message. And I think he means it, you know, some, I think he's, he probably said this in the post game, but he said on the sec network, his message was, you know, we have enough in this locker room, even without those guys. And sort of like it guys, you know, I found over the years, especially covering Vanderbilt football, um, players for the most part, believe in themselves. Media fans can look at the outside and you'd say there's, there's no chance they're going to win that game. But, but most of these guys, when they get to this level, they believe they're good players and when their coaches kind of show that belief in them, again, could they sustain this over two or three weeks? Probably not. But when you're missing good players, other guys can step up if they believe in themselves and the coach believes in them. And I know that sounds sort of like a cliche, but I've kind of found that to be true. GLH4VU says, uh, what should expectations for Jerry Stackhouse and the team be in the offseason? Um, I mean, I guess I'm reading that heading into next season. You know, in the offseason, I don't yeah. know. Uh, if the roster comes back, 
virtually intact. I don't know, Chris, can this be a bubble team? I think it could be. Um, with the progress they've shown, you, you would expect DeSue to take another, you know, he's a guy where you can just see his game continuing. Now he needs to get healthy. I think what's the stack said, he probably wouldn't be back until the summer, but he, he, so certain guys you can watch them play and say, okay, that that's kind of who they are. That people get better, of course, incrementally. But I, I think you look at him and you say he could. He, there's still a lot of things uh, he he can add to his game because he's such a diverse, versatile player. Um, can 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 DJ Harvey? You know, he's probably he's been the most disappointing player probably on the team this year. Can he kind of figure it out and get in better shape and and define his role? Um, I think Jordan Wright can continue to improve as a player. So I, I think there's enough te- enough talent on this roster based on the way we've seen these guys develop to be an NCAA tournament caliber team. That's if everyone comes back. Well, I think to answer the question literally, I think it's you improve your roster, right? And to me, that means you retain your good players. The one that I'm watching is Pippen uh, because I don't think people have grasped this yet. Players get a pass out to transfer out this year and don't lose a year. Uh, he is a high-profile player. Everybody in the country knows about him now. Well, that rule has not passed yet. Okay, it's not passed yet. Well, I, I think the assumption is it will. So I, I guess yeah, I'm not, maybe I'm, not, I'm just saying yeah. it's the assumption was that it would pass in December. It keeps getting punted down the road. No, no, you. That, that's a good point. Um, but I, I think that's the thing that I'm watching because I, I think that he's a guy that can go and literally play anywhere. If he hits the market, he's not from here. He's from the West Coast. So I, I think that it, it depends to me if they keep DeSue and they keep Pippen, okay, then then maybe you've got NIT, maybe NCA bubble in the discussion if things go well. But I think you've got to make sure those freshmen have got to contribute next year. I think you've got to find a, a good wing shooter and maybe Gabe Dorsey's that guy. And I think you got to land a transfer that helps you a little bit. I still am not a big believer in the supporting cast. Uh, maybe I'm wrong about that because they just pulled off a win. But to me, I think if they get those guys back, uh, maybe it's an NIT team. Maybe it's a team that sneaks in the NCAA tournament. If they win some close games that they haven't won the last few years, I still think it's an uphill battle. Uh, but but I think maybe you the, the outlook is a lot brighter at least. Yeah, I'll take an optimistic view. Um, I, if everyone comes back, you have two of the top maybe ten players in the league. Um, I'd have to see what happens in other rosters, and then you've got, um, you know, I, I think Jordan Wright is a solid, like I said before, complimentary player. There's no reason to believe that a few of the fresh, you know, some of the freshmen won't improve we've seen how much better Pippen and DeSue got um uh, under this coaching staff um I'm not and I don't necessarily think he'll be a a long-term starter I haven't given up on Quentin Malora Brown um I've made this comparison before and if maybe it's not fair maybe I'm crazy but I think when we saw Yanni Wetzel transfer into Vanderbilt the first two-thirds of his of his season uh he looked athletically uh overmatched and just was a big disappointment and then he's the light bulb started to turn on and then he had a really good year at San Diego state. Um, so, uh, I think in a more normal year, more continuity, I, I think Quentin Malora Brown can be a more of a contributor, um, down the stretch. I mean, it, you know, as a, maybe kind of a, a shot blocker and a big guy who can rebound a little bit. So I think there are enough pieces there if kind of things turn, turn the right way. 
I think the question is who they climb, right? Uh, because they're looking up. A&M's got a senior or two that it loses. And I'm, I'm going from 13 up as I look at the standings uh, on Ken Palm, which I, I guess he sorts them. Let's see. Does he sort them by expected record or by overall record? I think he sorts them by what they do. So, okay. Uh, A&M gets Emmanuel Miller back. He's their best player. They lose Quentin Jackson. And they lose Savion Flag, who seems like he's been there forever. I mean, assuming they lose, guys have options to come back. South Carolina, a decently young team. AJ Lawson's back. They would lose Seventh Woods if I he bet graduated. Back. Well, maybe, maybe he could, he's a he's a potential pro guy. So, uh, but they've got Cousinard, who led them in scoring this weekend's back. Auburn, lot depends on Sharif Cooper, but I think Auburn's going to have a lot of time. Uh, a lot of talent either way. I think that's going to be tough. Georgia is a freshman and sophomore dominated team. Uh, that one's going to be tough. I, I think my issue, I'm not saying that they can't get better as a team. I just start looking around the league and saying, who are they going to pass? Uh, Mississippi State's got, you know, a sophomore backcourt that's really good. Ole Miss might be one uh, because they lose Shuler. Uh, they lose White, they lose Vaughn. Um, so I mean, maybe that's when I, I just I see this as a league, and, and it feels like we've been saying this for years, right? Where it's getting better. Okay, Missouri's one. They lose a trio or three or four seniors who are really good. So that's one they could pass. I just I have a hard time seeing where the climb to the middle of the pack happens. Now, look, if you get to say 10 or 11, and, and then, like I said, you get lucky with a few games, but I still think it's going to be a hard climb because I just think the league is pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I, I see what you're saying there. I think it's just hard at this point to look at – we don't know what rosters are going to be. And, you know, um, I, again, I think if the roster is what – Vanderbilt's what we think it is, you're, you're starting at an advantageous point with two really, really good players. Yeah, I mean, that's totally true. I mean, the thing that you need is you need studs, right? You need studs. That's who carries you in basketball. And if they get Pippen and DeSue back, I think that that's two to start with. And that's two that a lot of teams would love to have. Yeah, no, I mean, no doubt about it. So, you know, we'll hopefully hopefully the roster's uh, pretty much intact and uh, and we can better work on kind of a, a normal basketball season without uh, catastrophic injuries and all that stuff. Anna Arbador asks, Clark Lee hired a director of mental performance. Do you know of other college teams who have a similar role? How do you see her working with the team? Um, yeah, I think there are they're definitely uh, – not every staff has one, but I've, I've seen them. I can't pinpoint and tell you that this school has one, but it's, it's not – not the first one, but I, I think it's I think it's very important. Um, you know, mental health is obviously a in in the country a bigger issue than it's ever been, and especially this year uh, with what's going on with COVID. And you got uh, you know eighty to one hundred young men, most of them away from home for the first time, and and you know at a, a school that's not the easiest academically. And so I, I think it's a a good move, and it's it's it does not force these guys to seek. Like they've got help if they need it in their bubble. They don't need to go outside of their bubble to get that help. Um, it's just sort of like walking down the hallway. So I, I think it's a, a smart move, and I think you'll see, I think in five years, every school is going to have one. What does that role do exactly? Is that 
like you said, mental health, and I'm with you. I think that's a big deal these days. You're seeing a lot of, gosh, I hate to be dark here, but you've seen a lot of athletes die young early. Um, saw one at Notre Dame over the week in Lewis Nix, who had just graduated. I don't want to speculate, but mental health has been a big thing this last year. Um, is that a role where it tackles those kind of things? Or does it also tackle, like, I think John Smoltz had, like, a, a, a mental coach or something like back when he played, which is probably, um, you know, before its time. But I think he had a guy that, that worked with him on confidence, if I remember right. Is it, is it one of those things? Because those are two different issues, confidence and mental health, or is it a role where it works with on both those areas? I don't know, and I don't really want to speak out of turn because I don't know. My guess would be it's much more geared towards mental health than mental than, than like performance optimization. You know, just basically for for the reasons we've talked about. Um, so that that would be my guess. Yeah. Mitch, we are out of questions on the mailbag. Anything that we didn't get to today that's worth discussion? Uh, not really. Not really. Um, just uh, um, what actually. Is this week in the Oklahoma State series? No, I mean, that's next week, and this is okay. UIC, and there's no midweek okay. game. Yeah, which is kind of strange. I mean, there's no – I don't think it's exams or anything like that, I guess, just after playing so many games in week one. But I don't know if it's just a scheduling quirk. Usually don't see uh, uh, no midweek games this early in the season. Yeah, of course, they also had a four-game series. Yeah. And I don't know when – I don't know how that came about. Um, maybe they just couldn't get an opponent for that day and they had Georgia State take an extra game. I can't remember the sequence. I mean, you've had – weather complications and all kinds of things. But I think in that circumstance, you're probably kind of glad to have the the week off as you try to get your pitching back to normal. I think you certainly want that order heading into Stillwater. Yeah, you need and, – and this will give them another week to get it set, like we said. And um, I think the weather is supposed to be relatively normal next weekend, so they should be able to, to, to uh, play – play the three games in three days and get some uh, back to some normalcy. Mitch, before you go, let me let you have the floor to mention your Twitter account, anything you will promote at The Athletic, and, and any loose ends we didn't tie up here. All right, so at Mitch Light is my Twitter uh, feed and my Twitter handle. And um, I'll tease Joe Rexwood's working on a story on kind of Clark Lee and Barton Simmons that I think will be out Thursday. And Joe always does a good stuff with those those deep dives. So uh, be, be on the lookout for that. He's Mitch Light. I'm Chris Lee. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast. We'll be back soon with another episode later this week.